Thank you very much. Let's give God a great round of applause also. He's worthy of all our praise. I have, one of, I have my wife, Kathy, with us this morning. She grew up in this area. It's always like coming home for her. And um, I'm so blessed to be here. Brett and Cynthia, among our dearest friends in the world, Jim and Angie Critcher. I could just go on and on with friends here. So it's, this is like my second home church. It's always great to be here. And we just finished our school of intercession. We had intercessors from around the world and really across the country. Um, so we just finished a week doing that. And this church is such a great host. I want to thank the staff, thank the church so much. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you, Lord, that the greatest days in the history of this church lie ahead. Uh, they're not in the past. And I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, as I was sitting here Wednesday night and you spoke to me, you would speak to us this morning as both a corporate people, your church, as individuals, families. Lord, this is a message, the only time I've ever spoken it was in the first service. I know it's tailored for the people of Grace Covenant right here in Chantilly and our other sites, amen. I'm gonna entitle this word, New House, and I'm gonna subtitle it, Refurbished, Remodeled, or Rebuilt. I'm gonna break it into three very simple parts. I'm gonna talk about a promise of God for you, I'm then going to talk about the phases God brings you through, both as a church and as individuals and families. And lastly, I want to talk, as you walk with God through these phases, what it produces. How many of you know only God can build a house that will stand? Whether that's our church, marriage, business, individual life. And I'm here to tell you, as one who was born again at eight, I know I look 24, it's not quite true, Give or take 40 years, it is true, 64. And as I followed God since I was eight, called to preach at 17, I realized he's always doing something in my life. He's always building. The fact of it is, the corporate church is his house, and he also says in the book of John, Jesus, that my dad now make my home right inside of you. Now, no matter where you are in your Christian life today, God is doing something in you. For many of you, maybe he's just refurbishing you, You've known him a good while, you're walking with him, but he decides you need a bit more passion. I kind of want to deal with this little bit of selfishness in your life. I want to give you a bit more joy. So he's refurbishing you, you know, maybe changing out some pillows, doing a little bit of painting, brightening up your life. There are others of you, it's a bit more serious than being refurbished. He's remodeling your marriage. He's remodeling one of your children. And as much as we love the, the thought of, my God, God's going to remodel my house. How many of you know it's nicer to think about remodeled than getting remodeled. Raise your hand. Walls are being knocked out. You're tearing up some old things. You feel like, Pastor, I wish God was refurbishing me, but my God, he's been remodeling me. Some of you, you're in a rebuild. Maybe life devastated you. Maybe it tore down part of your marriage, part of your business. For the three of you on my heart, and maybe there are more, you feel like, man, I'm about to face bankruptcy. I can't get my business out of this ditch. It's times like that when the Holy Spirit comes and just rebuilds from the foundation up. Now, let me give you a promise. You see the scripture up there, Haggai 2, 3 through 9, and let me basically give you some context. The children of Israel had basically been destroyed and wrecked. The Assyrian Empire had come in with 10 of the tribes, basically 
destroyed them, enslaved them, ethnically cleansed them, and deported them and moved another people in. Some years later, the last remaining tribes were destroyed by Babylon, gone. A few people left in the land, cities wrecked. And now after 70 years in Babylon, they've returned to the promised land. And Cyrus basically has given them the blessing to go. They've, they've come back. They begin to rebuild the temple. And all of a sudden, terrible political pressure has come against them. They're commanded to stop. And it's been 17 years, and they can't finish the rebuild. And in the middle of all that, the Lord gives them an amazing promise beginning in verse five. According to the covenant that I made with you, that when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yes, once more I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of nations will come in. I'm going to fill this house with my glory, says the Lord of hosts. Silver's mine, gold is mine, declares the Lord, and the latter glory of this house, the glory which is coming, the glory which maybe you can only perceive in faith, the latter years of your life, the latter years of your marriage, shall be greater than the former, declares the Lord. And in this place, I'm gonna give you peace as I do it. No matter how your life has been, when I look at this church that I've been preaching here 24, 25 years, as great as it's been, all it's done, I'm telling you now, God is currently remodeling this church. Not rebuilding it, remodeling it. He's redesigning some things. Why would he do that? Because this church is not just multi-ethnic, it's multi-generational. And there is a remodeling going on in this church. Maybe you can feel it, maybe you can't. How many of you know Stephen Law is probably a bit younger than me? I know we kinda, I kinda look younger than him, it's not true, okay. Now, the fact of it is, why? Because you're going to see an increasing ingathering of a younger generation, of younger couples, because God's not just building you, myself, people like you and I in our generation. He's thinking generationally, and he's remodeling this house so he can capture the heart of the next generation. Now, how many of you know when God's remodeling your life or your house, he may throw away some things you hold precious? Raise your hand. It sounds real good to remodel, but all of a sudden you got that, you've got that new appliance, you can barely turn it on. You know, as much as I love the fact that God takes my kids into their destiny, when they all left me, I couldn't even turn my television on. Who was gonna fix my computer? Like, who was gonna get me networked? I mean, you know, they talk about how you are technologically, talks about, you know, I'm a digital immigrant, you know, I'm a, I'm a digital native, I am a digital alien, I come from another planet. And so when God begins to remodel things, it can leave you disoriented. When God begins to remodel your life, remodel your church, and all of a sudden, fixtures you used to see are now gone. Fixtures that, I really kind of liked that. I liked him. I liked her. What is happening? God says this. There's a glory coming that I'm remodeling you for. Now, I want to talk then about how does that happen? What are the phases God brings us through both as a corporate people called the church, as individuals and families as well. How does God do that? The first stage is what I'm gonna call the conceptual stage. God has a concept for you. God has a plan for you, and he is determined to bring you into that plan. And let me tell you, beloved, when God is determined, don't waste your time resisting him. 
Because when God is determined to remodel you, to rebuild you, to refurbish you, the only thing you, have, you get to decide is, will it be the easy way or the hard way? One way or the other, God is going to motivate you. Now, I've learned there are two basic ways that humans get motivated. I don't like the first, so I always try to choose the second. The first, quite honestly, is violent demolition. Something kind of blows up in your life. All was fine, and now you're desperate. It says in 2 Chronicles 36, 19, talking about what happened to Judah, and they burned the house of God. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all of its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels, lost everything. And when they were deported into Babylon, they lost the sense of their heritage and their culture. Now, when you go through a demolition, it's not that God demolishes, but life and pain, you find an unusual openness. And some of you say, that's me, pastor. Some things very precious to us have been demolished. We feel we've been reduced down to our foundation and it was not as great as it was. Maybe it's your marriage, it's your career. The good news is what seems like rubble to you is the very thing God's spirit takes and reconstructs it into the very concrete you need to build a new foundation. God's not gonna waste your rubble. God's not going to waste what you think. Man, all of it's wasted, it never lasted, no. Out of that rubble, he will build something for a plan greater than you imagine. Then there's the way I like, I'll just call it visionary motivation. God said to Ezekiel, he says, as for you, son, describe to Israel what I'm building. I want you, son, to be as descriptive as you can, you'll find the book of Ezekiel, of the glory of what's coming, of the blessing of what's coming, of how it's gonna affect the earth. And if they're ashamed then, if they're ashamed of how low they've lived below that, if all of them they're willing to turn from anything that can hinder that, then they shall measure the plan. In other words, they'll measure the plan. It's ready. Beloved, for your marriage, your children, and this church, God has a plan. You say, well, of course he has a plan. But here's what Kathy and I found. We married 40 years in June. We still love each other and still like one another. And I look back at it. When we were first married, we never could have conceived that one day we'd just travel the world together, preaching, minister. Never could have conceived it. But the Bible says this, I has not seen. Ear has not heard. Mind has not conceived what God has for those who love him. Some of you, maybe you've retired from an illustrious career. Maybe in the military, maybe in the government, or maybe you're close to retirement. Or maybe, like me, you're kind of looking right at it, at least one stage of it. Maybe you came out of some amazing background. You say, man, my best years are gone. No way. God says, I have a future for you. I have a glory for you. But what do you have to do? Once you seemed and seen that concept, you come into what I'm going to call the contract or the contractual phase. It says in Psalms 127, one and two, unless the Lord builds your house, unless he's the contractor, unless he's the architect, those who build it labor in vain. 
if God doesn't guard what you build, and I might add, he typically only guards what he builds, those that watch, watch in vain. Go on to say this. It's empty for you to rise up early, go to bed late, and being anxiety. No. If God's building it, you can sleep peacefully. Kathy and I, we've lived in multiple locations over these last 39 and a half years. We've only built one home. And quite honestly, it was one of the best experiences of our life. And we built, and we built a home 500 miles from where we were. You know why it was? We were deep friends with our contractor and we fully trusted him. He knew what he was doing. He said, what do you want? Tell us. We love that home. That's my relationship with Christ. I know him. I trust him. And I've said long ago, as is Kathy, you're the builder of my life. You're the architect of my life. You know where I need to live, what you need me to do. My life is yours. It's on this altar. And the problem many of us have is we build our life ourselves, then we're mad when God won't bless it. God, can you bless this mess? No, but I'll rebuild it and bless it. We want God to bless what we build. We want God to treat what we've been building outside of his will like it was his will. Well, you know, I, you know, I was pretty mean to my wife. You know, I was, you know, I never would forgive her. I was bitter, but I need you to bless this marriage. God says, I need to bless you to change. And see, we live in this. I watch it all the time. We live in this misconception that I can build and live my life any way I can, then demand that God bless it and be mad when he doesn't. What God builds, he blesses. And what you build, you get to bless yourself. And so don't bring your mess to God and say, bless it the way it is. Say, God, change it, transform it so you can bless it. God doesn't bless sin. I'm sorry. He doesn't bless selfishness. I'm sorry. You ask forgiveness, he'll forgive you. Now, once Jesus is your contractor and once he's in your architect, let me give you one warning before we go in the next phase. How many of you know things always take longer than you expect to build? Raise your hand. People say, well, What's God's timing? I'll teach you right now. Never when you want it to be. It either takes a lot longer than you thought or comes more quickly than you're ready. You can find in building, contractor always needs money even though he seems months behind. God will build at his pace because he's not just building something for you. He's building you. The easiest thing for God to do is to build you a new home. The hardest thing is to build you in such a way you won't wreck it once you get it. What he's done for you. What he's building in you. Now, let's talk about the construction phase. And Basically, I want to talk to you about three phases in construction. Building the altar, laying the foundation, and constructing the house. Now, in Ezra 3, 1 through 6, you find this amazing passage. After 70 years in captivity, 42,000 roughly, it's not in front of me, Jews go back. They're surrounded by enemies. The temple's gone. There are no walls, you get that, no defensive walls. They're wide open to be attacked, and the, and the land is filled with all the people who were sent in to replace them. And all their historic enemies have grown stronger. The Bible says they're scared to death. Everything in them, we're going to build our walls, we're going to build our horses, we're, you know, houses, we're going to dig cellars, we're going to get food. Here's what it says. 
they set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. You know what that means? When they got there, they were in desperate need of direction. What do we do? How do we build our houses? How do we fix these walls? How do we get protection? But the priests there realized this. If we don't make divine connection, there's no divine direction. So they decided, the first thing we're going to do is not build up the army. The first thing we're going to do is not lay out all our defenses. The first thing we're going to do is reconnect with God as a people because we know as we begin to worship, as we begin to wait on him, as we begin to seek him according to his word, his presence is the greatest protection we'll ever get. No matter what God is building in you, your marriage, your life, your business, your church, your finances. Maybe you're afraid you'll lose it all. Maybe you're afraid of what the stock market's going to do and how the economy is going to shrink or is it going to get greater or what's going to happen to the military? Is it it shrinking? All those things. Here's one thing Kathy and I learned. Before we're ever married, here's what God told us. Never, ever go to bed until you've prayed and been in the word together. You've both built great relations with me individually. Now build one together. Now what's this altar mean? In the Old Testament, the altar was a place where people approached God. Maybe it was a mound of dirt. Maybe it was a mound of rocks. Maybe it was more formal in the temple. And on that altar, they would make a sacrifice for their sins, looking toward Christ. They'd worship there. They'd wait there. But what is it for us? The altar we build, it's the place where we meet God. It's the place where we seek him. And we don't have to offer the blood of animals because Jesus Christ has offered his blood for us. But here's the sacrifice God wants from you. In Romans 12, one through three, it says, in light of everything God's done for you, it's your reasonable service to lay your own life on the altar and say, God, all I have is yours. Your sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise and worship when you don't feel like it. Your sacrifice is a sacrifice of your time when you're busy and you open that word. But at the very essence of the change you desire is the daily practice of staying connected to our Father in heaven through his precious son. How many of you feel God when you're at church here? You can't tell me why. You just kind of feel him. Many of you would like to take this home And you can take a measure of it home. Now, I want you to know God's not in love with this building. If this church wasn't here and it was just like a a store, he wouldn't be here in the same way. He's in love with his people. And perhaps if you would do at home what you do here, you might experience a greater connection with him during the week. Like you read his word, you worshiped even if you can't sing, You waited on him quietly to speak to you. You thanked him, and they realized this. The first foundation in construction is an altar. It's to construct the relationship with God we need to be empowered to build this, to do this. 
Once they'd build the altar, it was time to lay the foundation. You see it in Ezra 3, 9 through 11. And I'll just read verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. They sang responsively, they praised, they gave thanks, and they shouted. Now, what does this mean? You can have the most beautiful house in the world, but if it's not built on the right foundation in the right place, it's not going to stand. I grew up in California in San Diego, and we'd have terrible rains. It'd bring mudslides, and the most amazing houses in the world would just slide right down. My mama said, I grew up here. Anybody could have told them, you don't build there in San Diego. So where you build and how you lay the foundation. Now, what are your spiritual foundations? It's what you know about God. It's your theology. It's your understanding of him. It's the practices of knowing him. And all of us grew up with different spiritual foundations. I grew up in California early on in an American Baptist church. Now, in an American Baptist church in California with a bunch of white people, you only raise your hand at the business meeting, maybe to vote the pastor out, maybe to raise your hand, yes or no. And prayer meetings are really quiet. We're having a prayer meeting. Who has requests? Everybody go, unspoken, unspoken, unspoken. I say, Mama, how can that be unspoken? Because they're speaking. How am I going to pray? They never tell. It was very different than the other type of Baptist, which I discovered when I moved south, to shouting Baptist, to happy Baptist. I love that Baptist. But my foundations, they molded me and shaped me. I couldn't imagine being noisy in church, even though God says make a joyful noise. I couldn't imagine raising my hand. And when I was thrown into that environment, God adjusted my foundations. Some of you first come into an atmosphere like this, you're uncomfortable. It's because God's got to adjust your foundations. Now, even in the America we live in now, some people have no spiritual foundations. God's got to completely relay them. He'll deal with your foundations. He'll work on your foundations, and then he'll begin to construct your house. Now, when he begins to construct your house, here's kind of the unhappy news for the story. When God begins to refurbish you, when God begins to remodel you, when God begins to rebuild you, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be internal conflict and external conflict. Why is that? Because the enemy realizes if God refurbishes them, if God remodels them, if God rebuilds them, they're going to have even a greater measure of his spirit, a greater measure of his power. Now, let me talk about internal conflict and external conflict, and I'll give you one more point and we'll close. When Zechariah came on the scene and talking about this um, conflict, when he came on the scene, you find that in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. And when he got there, they had not built for 17 years. They're led by two men. Zach, they're led by Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel was kind of their governmental leader. And they were discouraged. And when he got there, he had a vision. And in this vision, he saw Joshua the high priest standing before the very throne of God. His robes were dirty with discouragement, dirty with unbelief, dirty with a sense of failure. His old priestly turban was about to come off his head covered in dirt, and he wasn't just in front of God. The devil was at his right hand reminding him, you're a failure, you haven't led, you didn't do it right. That was the voice of the accuser. 
Joshua was standing before God with his head hanging down, thinking, well, God's going to rebuke me. This must be the voice of God. I'm no good. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, looked down and saw him in his failure, saw him in his pain. Never once said, the Lord rebuke you, Joshua. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I know what this man's come out of. They were a brand plucked from the burning. I know what happened to his family. I know what he came out of, and I rebuke you, Satan. Told the angels around him, give him a new turban, give him a new robe. I know what's going on in your mind. A lot of times what you think is just negative self-talk is the enemy speaking and whispering. You're no good. God will never help you. It's your fault. It's too late. You've lost too much. That child is too far gone. You know what the doctor said. And here's God's answer to all that. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Let's say that together. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I see the Holy Spirit wanting to get right in the middle of your internal conversation. And that accusation, that thing, it'll never be, you don't have time. You've wrecked it too much. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, in the next vision he had, which spoke of eternal conflict, he saw Zerubbabel standing before a literal mountain of rubble, a literal mountain of trash. And Zerubbabel just crushed down under the burden of facing an obstacle too big for human strength. Many of you like Zerubbabel today say, Pastor Jim, I need a rebuild but there's so much to rebuild, it's impossible. It's too far gone. There's too much between us, pastor. There's too much rubble. And God gave him a great vision, which I won't take time to talk about, but he told him this. He said, Zachariah, tell him this. It's rubble. Not by your might. Not by your strength, but by my power, says the Lord. And this great mound of rubble, this great this, all this residue from the past, this heap of trash and pain with shouts of the grace of God, the grace of God, the strength of God. I'm going to level it, and you're going to hold in your hands the capstone. If you're facing a God-sized mountain today, it's because God realizes as a human you can't do it unless you tap into his strength. Why has he let me face this mountain, Pastor? To force you out of your strength into his strength, to force you out of your strength into his strength. And what was the end of all? What did that produce? But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. What happened? The day came they built that temple. The older generation crying, remembering the past, joyful yet knowing the loss. The newer generation not having the same sense of the past, shouting. Now to this church I say this. You're in a very unique five-year period of remodeling. You're going to watch unique generational influxes. That doesn't mean those of you more mature saints, my age and a bit older, don't have a place. It just means... God doesn't just care about the past. He's looking to touch our children and our children's children and their friends. And you're in a five-year remodel where God may knock out a few walls you didn't expect. God may say you need to update that fixture that you kind of liked. 
because, you know, mama had one just like it. God's remodeling this house. And that remodeling is going to take generations together, not just ethnicities. And there's going to come a praise. And there's going to come a shout. And there's going to come a word that will be heard a long way off. Pastor Duke joined me up here. No matter where you are in this process today, maybe you say, Pastor Jim, I kind of in the demolition phase. Take heart. God's going to build a greater thing. Maybe you're in the contractor phase. I've been trying and trying. I can't do it. You best give it to the contractor. His name is Jesus, and he works a lot with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in the construction phase, and you feel like, I don't have much altar. I can't find God in this. He's ready to meet you. Maybe you feel like, man, alive, I'm trying to get these foundations dealt with. I'm trying to build this. Be at peace. Jesus says this to the Apostle Paul. I'm confident of one thing, said Paul, that he who began working in you, he who began building for you, will complete it. If you say, Pastor, I'm at at least one of those stages, maybe even two simultaneously, pray for me, wave at me right now. Put your hands up. I feel so much better now. I'm the only one feeling that way. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm praying over marriages, businesses, children, careers, and this whole church. Build us, Lord. Build us as a people and as individuals into what we need to be to see your greater glory, to see your greater presence for your greater spirit. And we thank you so much, Lord. 